Uh, today, we have Professor Andrew Riley, who is a professor of fashion design and merchandising at UH Manoa, where he's been since 2007, and he, where he has also served as the director of the program since then. He's also affiliate and graduate faculty in the Department of Women's Studies, and he's been working with myself and a number of others on the hopefully forthcoming sexuality studies certificate, uh, which is actually gonna be called a queer studies certificate. So hopefully that will happen soon too. He's author of the 2020 book, Introduction to Fashion Theory, as well as co-editor of the book, Crossing Gender Boundaries, The Meaning of Dress, as well as Key Concepts for the Fashion Industry. These are all different books. Uh, most recently, he's been writing on contemporary gay styling, and he'll share some of his research today with us, repositioning the bottom. So please give me some virtual claps for Professor Andrew Riley. Great, thank you. I will go ahead and share my screen. <clears throat> can everybody see that? Hello, can everybody see that? I can see it. Yeah. Oh, okay, you can yeah. see it. I was saying it was silent. I was like, oh my God, did I, did I lose everybody? All right, I will go ahead and get started. So legend has it that a young Julius Caesar had a same-sex relationship with King Nicomedes IV of Bithynia. But the scandal was not that if true. He had a male lover. The scandal was that he took the role of the woman. In the two millennia since, little has changed. The top or penetrator is still considered masculine while the bottom or penetrated is stigmatized and shamed. Today in this talk, I'm going to talk about um, current issues around this, uh, this uh, situation and a counter narrative of the feminine gay that is currently developing as a way to challenge certain expectations. I just want to uh, include this disclaimer that during this talk in context, I do use um, terms that may be um, offensive or considered pejorative against um, LGBTQIA people, but I am using them in the situational context so that um, people understand the past and current attitudes towards effeminate gay men in order to highlight the social prejudice and discrimination that um, they experienced. I, um, in this work, I'm building off of Butler's notion that gender is a performative or an act that constitutes itself and Halberstam's argument that gender is a continuum with masculinity and femininity at, um, as endpoints. And I argue that heteronormative norms have been replicated within gay culture but it is these norms that have been replicated that are currently being challenged. The 1969 Stonewall riots are seen as a turning point for LGBTQIA plus rights, a significant event in overturning corrosive and oppressive heteronormativity. But what we saw is that in an ironic twist, the same structure that was being used by straight men to denigrate gay men was in turn used by gay men to oppress other gay men. Roles associated with the masculine were seen as a sine qua non, while roles relating to femininity were denigrated or ashamed. And it is the standard that led to the so-called butch shift. 
in gay men's appearance, wherein dress and bodies became simulacra for manliness. And then I linked this to the dichotomy that was preferred, uh, that the preferred sexual position of gay men as top, versatile, or bottom, and the latter, which is still used as a slur to belittle gay men who exhibit femininity. In this presentation, I explore how notions of dichotomous gender are reinterpreted and challenged using techniques of grounded theory to analyze blogs, vlogs, film, and interviews with gay men and their allies. For interviews and personal communications, I use pseudonyms as appropriate. In the first part of this um, talk, I will talk about, I will use ephemophobia and hegemonic masculinity ideology to frame conditions that led to the status and power difference between gay men of different sexual position identities and presentation modes. In the second part, I use reading from behind and counter discourse or counter narrative to frame the current disruption of these notions. So in part one, let's start with um, Sean Cole's statement. He said, Society's emphasis on gender divisions had an overwhelmingly imp overwhelming impact on the development of gay identity and led to effeminacy becoming both the culturally accepted meaning and stereotype of gay identity. Although gay men have long been viewed as effeminate or as women trapped in men's bodies, the link between the popular assumption that gay men are effeminate can possibly be attributed, at least in the modern era, to the aesthetic and decadent movement, uh, movements of the 19th century and their avowed cult of beauty, which was hostile to the more masculine-oriented industrial utility of the day. This was an area where gay or bisexual men, including esthetes such as Oscar Wilde, Evelyn Baugh, and Steven Spender, could express themselves freely. However, working class men did not have the luxury of being open about their sexuality, leading to assumptions that gay men were frivolous as opposed to committed to hard labor. Chauncey suggests that conservative gay men would use the term queer which even until the middle 20, 20th century just meant um, unconventional or unusual for themselves to distinguish themselves from the openly pejorative terms such as fairies, faggots, and queens. Yet from the Stonewall riots onwards, discussions about presentation and appearance brought the difference between gay men who embraced femininity and those who rejected it into sharper focus. Now, despite or because of this, following Stonewall, gay men's appearance and dress mostly shifted to masculine forms in what has become known as the Bush shift, a portrayal of gay masculinity as that which is not feminine. Castro, Castro clones, named for the gay neighborhood in the Castro, San Francisco, where the look was quite popular, and Leatherman are two examples that embraced working class masculine aesthetics of denim, flannel, t-shirts, and facial and body hair. Later, subcultural groups also included used masculine dress to create a social identity. In his analysis of gay men in appearance, Cole argues that various gay subcultures, including clones, muscle boys, bears, scallies, homo thugs, and others, used dress to create masculine images that were at odds with the stereotype of the effeminate gay man. 
The rejection of the feminine has continued with the co current common phrase, straight acting gay. When Lance, when singer Lance Bass publicly came out in 2006, <coughs> excuse me, he was condemned for using the term. He said, I call them sags. They're straight acting gays. We're just normal, typical guys. I love to watch football and drink beer. Bass's aligning straight acting with normal clearly alludes to heteronormativity or the pri privileging of heterosexuality over homosexuality. In all, it also positions masculinity as the only legitimate form of gender expression for gay men, while also distancing himself from the abnormal fairies, faggots, fruits, and queens of yesteryear. More recently in 2015, actor Russell Tovey echoed these sentiments in an interview. He said, I felt like I could have been really effeminate if I hadn't gone to the school I went to, where I felt like I had to toughen up. If I had been able to relax, prance around, sing in the street, I might be a different person now. I thank my dad for that, for not allowing me to go down this path. The public reaction was swift in both cases. Social media, especially sites dedicated to men attracted to other men, were soon awash with statements and memes expressing frustration at the continued privileging of traits associated with masculinity over femininity, while also expressing pride in one's own feminine qualities. In the case of Russell Tovey's statement, these frustrations were repeated um, from what would occur with Lance Bass's um, interview, but with the added trend of posting proud to be Faye on social media. Taiwatatep proposes that hegemonic masculinity ideology and masculinity consciousness contribute to anti-effeminacy attitudes. He argues that the belief that femininity is inferior to masculinity contributes to marginalization of effeminate gay men. This certainly appears to be the case as no femmes or mass for mass are common and frequent on popular social media networking sites, dating sites and hookup apps like Grindr, Scruff and Adam for Adam. For example, in my research, um, one gay man told me, I don't want to be around flamboyant gays. They embarrass me and I would never date one. I'm embarrassed for them. I mask and I only date masks. Same for drag queens, they are embarrassing themselves, stereotypes. This goes beyond dating or sexual encounters to also casual friendships. As King notes on the website, Empty Closets, it still pisses me off to see gay guys who refuse to associate with flamboyant or feminine gay guys. I see this everywhere, on dating sites and talking to other gays, even here on Empty Closets. I understand you may genuinely not get along with most flamboyant gay guys, but outright refusing them the opportunity to talk to you is just ridiculous. As someone who does have some feminine qualities, it is a huge piss off to essentially be told you're not worth my time by so many people. Allen contends that ephemonophobia is related to, quote, the renunciation of phallic power. He argues for re-evaluating assumptions on the primacy of the phallus. Whereas tops have long been valorized while bottoms denigrated, today we see a repositioning of attitudes. 
power, pride, and shame are questioned, and long-held notions disrupted. And these notions are linked to sexual position identity. Stereotypes about gender roles are reinforced with respect to sexual position identity, a reference to the role one adopts during sexual intercourse as the penetrator, penetrated, variations of the two are neither. Identifying men as top or bottom has become a type of pastime among friends and gossip columns. Conversations with gay men and their allies reveal a contemporary game called top or bottom, where they attempt to infer a man's sexual position identity by analyzing traits such as appearance, walk, and voice. In general, a bottom is identified by feminine characteristics, including, quote, swishy walk, and, quote, control freak personality. Appearance cues include a hypermasculine aesthetic and attention to detail. The top or bottom game was parodied on the September 21st, 2011 television broadcast of Saturday Night Live with the skit featuring host Alec Baldwin. In the skit, he's on a game show called Who's on Top, where he portrayed a contestant who was shown pairs of celebrities and on the basis of pictures had to determine top or bottom. Right now, we're going to watch um, that clip. It's about a five minute clip and uh, we're going to watch it and then we'll come back to this. And now it's time to play everyone's favorite game of strategy. <laughs> We've got three great contestants today. You folks ready to play? Yes. You know it, Vince. <laughs> all right, the rules are simple. As we all know, when two gay men have sex, one person is the top and one is the bottom. <laughs> we'll show you two male celebrities who hypothetically could have sex. And you decide who's on top. <laughs> no, 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 no thank you. I'm not playing this. Good luck. Nice meeting you. Well, Usually explaining the rules has cost us a contestant. Obviously. All right, Paul, you're up first, and here's your question. Uh-oh. We've rocked out to their song. Hang on, sorry. Don't know what happened. Rovers. 30 well, darn it. years. Between them, they've sold almost 300. I'm sorry. Let me, um, let me try to reload this. Well, that's a shame. Oh, here we go. Sorry, hang on, we got a video, we got a... Oh, yeah, the... Gotta watch the commercial. I'm so sorry about that. And now it's time to play everyone's favorite game of strategy. The rules has cost okay. us a contestant. Paul, Madeline, are you still ready to play? Sure. 100%. It's a simple game. For instance, if I said Hannity and Combs, who's on top, the answer would be? Hannity. Hannity. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. All right, Paul, you're up first, and here's your question. We've rocked out to their songs for over 30 years. Between them, they've sold almost 300 million albums. But if Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen had sex, tell me, who's on top? Billy Joel. 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 Billy Joel.
who's on top? Oh, that's an excellent question. Let me think this through. Uh, uh, the easy answer would be that Bruce is on top because he's the boss, but it can't be that simple. Uh, physically speaking, Bruce is more muscular, but Joel's a bulldog. Ten more minutes. Uh, don't rush me. Uh, <laughs> But see, Billy Joel and Springsteen are both legends, but Bruce has always stayed humble and he takes pride in a hard day's work, even if it ain't pretty. Uh, Billy Joel's on top. Correct. Uh, Correct. Oh, you're in the lead with $10,000. Uh, As always, I have to point out, we here at Who's on Top are in no way insinuating that anyone mentioned this show is or has ever been gay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. All right. Madeline, you're up. They're two of cinema's favorite international stars. But if Roberto Benigni and Gerard Depardieu had sex, who's on top? Oh, shoot, I, I know this. Okay, well, Benigni's a squirmer, so he would be hard to hold down. Um, but if anyone can do it, it's Gerard. So um, I'm gonna say Gerard Depardieu's on top. Sorry, Madeline, you forgot Depardieu is French and therefore a bottom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Paul, you're back up. They delighted millions of children in The Lion King, but when Timon and Pumbaa had gay sex, who's on top? Mm, oh, I was just thinking about this. Uh, uh, Timon and Pumbaa, of course, their motto was Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase, Hakuna Matata. Ain't no passing craze. It's a problem-free philosophy, Hakuna Matata. There is no top, they trade off positions Evenly, it's a circle of life. That is correct. That is correct. Uh, that's great. Let's pause now from a word from one of our sponsors. What? Still no sponsors? I can't blame. You. All right, let's keep playing. Paul, you're in the lead, so you move on to our lightning round. But don't worry, Madeline isn't leaving home empty-handed. She'll be going home with the Who's on Top Home Edition. Uh, well, uh, Vince, I, I just like to say. Uh, when the show began, I thought it might be a reckless game of sexual gossip. Uh, but if you use your instincts about personality and status, you'll see that these are the right answers. That's right. It's a smart game. <laughs> Let's go to the lightning round. Okay, Paul, in this round, I'm going to ask you to picture two men having sex. Done. Let, let me go. <laughs> Those two, you'll try to guess as many tops as you can before time runs out, all right? And go. Mark Twain and Seth Green, who's on top? Please, Mark Twain. Correct. Kimbo Slice, the old man from Up, who's on top? Surprisingly, the old man from Up. Correct. <laughs> 70s, Kenny Rogers, Kenny Rogers now, who's on top? I don't want to picture that pass. Correct. Paul Giamatti. The other guy. Correct. <laughs> Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, who's on top? Oprah Winfrey. Correct. Final question. Final question. The cast of Entourage. If they all had sex, put them in order from bottom to top. Oh, crap. Okay, uh, Turtle's on the bottom. Uh, but now it gets tricky. Drama wouldn't be next. He's too proud. 45 minutes. Uh, I got it. I got it. Uh, Turtle, E, Drama, Ari, Vinny's on top, while Scott Kahn watches. You just won $600,000. You can walk away now or lose it all. I'm going to lose it all. What? Okay, uh, so um, I don't know if anyone's seen that, but even though it's a, an exaggeration, um, it does show some of the stereotypes associated with um, sexual position and um, uh, sexual position among um, gay sex. 
the uh, one sexual position to continue it has also been stereotyped along the lines of femininity and masculinity. The top is masculine or manly and the bottom is womanly or effeminate. For example, as one of my interviewees, Emmanuel notes, people think drag queens are bottoms. Surprised they're not. Is a comment that reinforces the idea that donning dress, designed and marketed for women and wearing makeup automatically signifies being a bottom. In the song Boy is a Bottom from drag group DWV, the lyrics include a tongue-in-cheek line about a supposed bottom wearing a dress. Quote, I heard at one time he had a gown. Other stereotypes include the notion that on a date, the top pays for dinner or that bottoms need to be petite. For example, as one person told me, how are you 6'3 and a bottom? Or, quote, if you're tall like me, everybody thinks you're a top. Memes also disseminate stereotypes about sexual position identity. One meme notes common stereotypes surrounding this and includes Femme guys are bottom, short guys can't top, you're top with that ass, and black guys are all top. As one Instagram user notes, I don't think sexual preferences are heteronormativity. I think the connotation and personality subscribed to those positions is heteronormativity. This contributes to a mode of address which results in power and uh, power and st uh, status hierarchy among gay men, where tops are seen as more esteemed than bottoms, and by extensions, tops are seen as more masculine. Uh, this is borne out in my research and other research that notes that feminine men take the bottom role. We also see this playing out with versatile individuals where age, musculature, and general masculinity affect the top or position bottom one takes. Quotes from some of my work include, uh, quote, I'm a top for younger men, for men younger than me, but a bottom for older men. And if he's more butch than me, I want him to fuck me. Otherwise, I'm a top. More recently, I found more examples from um, online websites or dating and hookup apps. One man noted that he is verse bottom and equally great at both. I usually bottom for taller, bigger guys and like topping for guys that are smaller than me. One anonymous profile, grinder profile read, I top guys leaner than me and bottom for muscular guys. And this anonymous response from a discussion thread on, a sexu on sexuality in the gay community read, I claim bottom because I'm best at it. I'm not opposed to topping, but I'm 5'7 and weigh 135. So imagine that on top of you. A number of scholars confirm that bottoms are stigmatized and are associated with femininity and inferiority when compared to tops. Research also links bottoms to lower self-esteem and more shame than tops and to social physique anxiety, internalized homophobia, and the drive for musculature. Baranci argues that this is because to be penetrated is to abdicate power. I have argued elsewhere that social censoring, such as calling someone a bottom, polices effeminate gay men and encourages, encourages them to destigmatize by altering their appearance and or mannerisms, thus reinforcing a gendered hierarchy within the gay male community. Scarcella notes, no one ever says you look like such a top and grave echoes his sentiment. First, you're hated by the straights for being gay, then you're hated by the gays for being femme or bottom. 
Likewise, Alan writes, being gay is the worst. You get bullied growing up for being gay, then you get bullied by the gays for being a certain gay. Two femme, mask only, you're not first, why not? How are you a bottom with a dick like that? Grow some body hair, shave that, you're too femme to be a top. In fact, gay adult films actor Armand Rizzo claims a studio pays bottoms less than tops. He wrote, or he said in an interview, they pay bottoms way less than tops and their excuse is the website is more top dominant. I don't give a fuck who you are, who are you to say that a bottom is worth less. He further states that other adult performers report the same pay discrepancy and that quote, bottoms are seen as women, tops as men who can do nothing wrong. It's all about masculinity. I hate to say it, but they treat us like we're women because we're the ones taking it. So as we get into a uh, second two about a reaction to this, we'll start with that Alan Post that said a repositioning of the anus as a site of power rather than shame. In his detailed and probing analysis, he notes that critical study needs to, quote, decenter the orientation of the anus. This is not to deny that it has an orientation, but to claim that its orientation is not the same for everybody. He further argues, quote, our notions of active passive is incomplete. There is much work to be done on the desiring anus and the anus is active agent in sexuality. This work is important because it rewrites the primacy and dominance of the phallus. Using these arguments as a framework, I argue that effeminate and bottom identified men who have sex with men have been marginalized by the dominant masculine gay culture. And now I will, but I'm seeing what is known as a counter narrative to reorient male male sexuality. Counter discourse or counter narrative is used by marginalized groups to dismantle and deconstruct dominant narratives about them. And this method, method has been used within queer communities. Counter narrative can come in different forms, including direct or indirect. Examples include activism, memes, pride, and merchandise. It is currently used by effeminate men and men who identify as bottoms for the same purpose. Um, as noted earlier, effeminacy and bottoms are marginalized and stigmatized, and the term bottom has become a slur. But today we're seeing what appears to be a burgeoning cultural ethos among some men who are challenging the negativity of femininity or bottom positions. Today we see prominent gay men who challenge long-held gender role, which are challenging long-held gender roles and gendered expectations. For example, for his entree to the Met Gala at the Costume Institute at the Metropolitan Museum in 2012, Mark Jacobs famously wore a black lace dress from Comme des Garçons Fall Winter 2012 collection over white boxers. Because of this, the dress subsequently sold out at Barney's New York. Billy Porter has donned a number of gender-bending outfits, including a pink tulle dress at the 2019 ceremony for the Tony Awards, a black velvet gown with enormous skirt by Christian Siriano to the 2019 Academy Awards, and a seafoam and teal strapless jumpsuit slash gown to the 2020 People's Choice Awards. When asked of his clothing choices, Porter said, quote, I have something to say through clothes. My goal is to be a walking piece of political art every time I show up, 
to challenge expectations. What is masculinity? What does it mean? Queer rapper Caswell has also challenged the shame aligned with femininity in a 2017 song, Loose Wrists, with include, which include the lyrics, quote, all slay, all femme, free boy, and quote, we're about to make America femme again, bring the heat, flame some things. In his accompanying video, Caswell included on pasty, um, pastel, lacy shorts, and shirts. Yet another example is the popular TV series Schitt's Creek, which features a leading character, Dave Rose, as an effeminate pansexual man. His gender-fluid androgynous designer wardrobe, which includes skirts and tunics in mostly black, white, and gray. When he first put on his character's wardrobe, actor Daniel Levy said that, quote, there was a strange flamboyance that came out for David that was very controlled and yet not controlled at the same time. In the series, David's clothes and sexuality are non-issue, and the character and actor have emerged as a style icon. These challenges to the rigid notions of gender dressing are also evident in the broader public. My work with Ben Barry includes interviews with men, both gay and straight, cisgender and transgender, who violate long-held notions of gender dressing by combining traditionally masculine and feminine garments, such as skirts and dresses with sneakers and athletic apparel, or pairing masculine aesthetics with feminine aesthetics, such as color, texture, line, and silhouette. We note that this style of dressing aligns with post-postmodern theory, which posits that cultural and social categories are being eliminated. In fact, one interview we said, gen uh, calls this style of dressing gender more, and said uh, this style challenges the oppression of marginalized people. Another during in this uh, in this research who um, says he looks like an uber top wears a t-shirt with quote top from the bottom printed on it in order to challenge expectations about his sexuality and appearance. As said earlier, um, drag queen musical group DWV released Boy is the Bottom in 2013. It is a parody of Alicia Keys song Girl on Fire. As the title suggests, Boy is the Bottom is about a gay man who identifies at the bottom. It includes opening lyrics, he's just a boy but he's the bottom, make him try to talk he'll cry, never said he's bi, it says he's verse up on his grinder, versatile, yeah, okay, girl, you're no you super gay. The lyrics continue with stereotypes about bottoms and tops who are never gonna bottom. The accompanying video includes artists, the artist following a masculine appearing man walking around town while pointing and gossiping about him. But the song has a positive note to it as well with a stanza that highlights the importance of bottoms to same-sex population. population. In addition, in 2015, um, the dance song Bitch I'm a Bottom by Pablo Hernandez and Manelo Luzon was released. The lyrics are direct and blunt about positioning and reconfigures the agency of bottoms from one that is passive to one that is active and in control. 
Similarly, but with more earnestness and less parody, in 2018, queer musical artist Troy Sivan released a song called Bloom, an unapologetic, blatant, and direct ode to bottoming. Praised for its provocative yet positive subject matter, the song features an accompanying video that includes the Savelt singer in feminine dress, included painted nails, eyeshadow, and bright red lips gesticulating in an unmistakably feminine way. The song includes allusions to the anus with lyrics like take a trip to with um, lyrics like take a trip into my garden. I've been saving this for you and I bloom just for you. While the entertainment world is embracing bottomness, men who have sex with men are engaging in discussions of empowerment and pride. Popular memes about bottom pride have circulated, including one ironic meme called Stop Top Shaming, which is an obvious play on bottom shaming and includes an image of a young man sitting with his face hidden in his arms while fingers are pointed to him with texts that read, idiot, tops have no talent, you are just a penis, top, you're a top, lol, be a real man and pound anyone lately. Another common form of meme shows feminine men or drag queens together with masculine muscular men with the former label at, labeled as tops and the latter as bottoms. Jesse Archer remarks, quote, in private bottoms are celebrated and empowered, but out in public they continue to be dismissed as laughable. Certain among us have been so emasculated by their bottom versatile natures that they deny it through false online advertising." End quote. He proposes bottom pride as a result to empower men who have been denigrated due to their bottomness. Moreover, an LGBTQIA community organization in Austin, Texas sponsored a talk called Empowering the Bottom, Bringing Glory to Your Whole and it included a discussion and activities to empower bottoms. In contrast to dominant ideas, Underwood defines the power bottom as the one who is not penetrated, but rather envelops, is active and is in control of sexual congress. The power bottom is seen as aggressive and commanding in contrast to the top who is submissive and dominated. In this typology, the power bottom is a reclamation of status. It upends the heteronormative social structure of gay sex by privileging the penetrated who is in control of the act of sexual intercourse. Thus, the power bottom finds his power not in his penis, but in the anus, a point of view that is in line with Allen's concept of reorienting the anus as an active agent in discussions of sexuality. As one gay man, gay uh, man, self-proclaimed power bottom I interviewed said, I like both, but I think bottoming suits me. I feel more in control. He explained that control comes from the ability to contract anal muscles and use them to control the top's sexual experience. Another said, I take pride in my ass. It is so powerful. Savvy merchandisers and retailers and business people have embraced this emerging trend with t-shirts and pins that read femme top, top bunk bottom bunk, felt cute, might bottom later, hashtag bottom, easy bottom, power bottom, I bottom, I would bottom you so hard, and the like. Homoco, a clothing brand that courts the queer market, uses clever advertising for shirts and swim trunks such as, quote, 
Whether you're looking for a versatile top or a power bottom or both, we've got you covered. And Queer Brand Swish Embassy offers a, offers a line of mighty Monin power bottom shirts that are styled in a superhero motif. According to one person who wears a power bottom shirt, the reaction has been pretty positive. Pride in the physicality of the bottom itself has also taken hold among many bottom pride enthusiasts. The anus has become the focus of aesthetics and care while practices such as anus waxing and anus bleaching are becoming prevalent. The advent of waxing is likely connected to the fashion of thongs and ever shrinking bikinis, as well as individual aesthetic desire. Bleaching may have begun with pornographic actors, possibly before moving into celebrity culture. Today, magazines, bloggers, and YouTubers offer advice on waxing and bleaching, including the aesthetic benefits as well as health risks. Bleaching was even mentioned in the gay television series Looking and on American Horror Story Hotel. In addition to paying attention to the color and texture of the anus, the shape and size of the buttocks is also experiencing a robust growing interest. Many buttock enhancing products are now available in the marketplace. Retailers offer padded underwear, herbs, pills, topical oils, creams, and lotions that promise, quote, to aid in building a well-endowed bubble, bubble butt, end quote, as one product claimed. Furthermore, some men may turn to risky or dangerous silicone and black market injections or, or employ other surgical options. In 2019, buttock lifts for men accounted for 8% of total buttock lift surgeries performed in the United States, and buttock implants for men accounted for 14% of all total buttock implant surgeries, although sexual orientation remains unreported. Nonetheless, many queer men with large social media followings proudly display their derriere uh, with, accompanying, with an accompanying peach emoji, a symbol for the gluteus maximus, and marked with hashtag and his hashtags in the vein of hashtag bottom, proud bottom, power bottom, and the like. Much of modern gay history is marked by stigmatization, marginalization, and control over gay bodies by government, medical, cultural, social, and psychological forces that render them the evil other. Heterosexuality is seen as the default with homosexuality as the other, and femininity is seen as the default for gay men, while masculinity as its counterpoint. The result, as Seidman argues, is, quote, shame and guilt at the core of their sense of self, resulting in a polluted homosexual in order to maintain the purity of particular patterns of heterosexuality, including, um, unquote, including sexual practices. Although Seidman did not elaborate on penetrated, the penetrated, penetrated dichotomy, one can make a logical connection. The reality is that the current climate and contacts, the normalization of heterosexual conventions, penetrator versus penetrated, masculine versus feminine, is reproduced in much of gay culture. The concept of heteromasculinity as superior has resulted in further marginalization of some members of an originally mar already marginalized community. Seidman argues that, quote, the social condition we call the closet and the culture 
emphasizing coming out and gay pride are part of a heteronormative order enforced by means of repression and pollution, end quote. By parallel, I argue that it is replicated within the normalization of tops and masculinity within gay culture, and that gay men who do not fit with this mold must come out or declare their presence as feminine or as bottoms. As argued here, feminine and or bottom gay men find their power in areas other than masculinity or the penis and disrupt the cultural norm using their clothing and bodies. This challenges the current modes of address by uprooting the power, current power structure within the gay male community where femininity or anything womanly is denigrated. Thank you. Um, I would be glad to discuss this further or answer any questions. Thank you, Professor Riley. That was really um, illuminating and interesting. Thank you. Um, if anybody wants to just start us off, you could just unmic and ask your question, or if you prefer to put it in the chat, that's fine as well. You could just open it up. Uh, let me ask it. How many had seen that um, the clip from Saturday Night Live? Had anyone seen it? I was just curious. What year was it? I forgot. Twenty uh, twelve, I think. Twenty twelve. Okay. Somewhat recently, it's in past memory. I can ask a question um, if folks are collecting their ideas. Um, I was curious if you could tell us some examples in um, the research you've done, maybe in terms of the interviews or um, you know things you've observed in the larger culture of this shift. So this like bottom shift, if I don't know if um, we could call it how it coming up maybe with different racial dynamics and then um, the intersections as well with claiming to be a bottom in cis versus non-cis kind of identity enactments as well. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Um, well, as far as intersectionality, there is a really good book called um, A View from the Bottom and it is about femininity and sexuality among Asian men in film. And um, it's a very good exploration of this topic about how Asian men are viewed as feminine, are considered not desirable, or um, are very passive. And I think it does play out in some of the uh, literature as well. A lot of the research that um, Exist. So there was a lot of research on sexual position identity, especially in the late 70s, early 80s. And they were looking at who takes the bottom or top role. And as far as different ethnicities, in, uh, in Mediterranean, Latino, South American, um, biker, and prison cultures, and trucker cultures, the top was seen as not gay. 
if you're uh, the top and you weren't gay. It was only the bottom that was seen as gay. The one who is uh, uh, penetrated was the gay one. Then research then died off, I think, due to the advent of AIDS. And um, but it started coming up again in the last 20 years or so. Um, I am really curious to go into this area further, um, especially with different ethnicities, because there's always a stereotype that black men are tops. And just from observation um, and you know, online posts or blogs or whatever, um, many black men are uh, tired of always being assumed the top or that if they are going to hook up with somebody that they have to take the top role. I think that's what we're seeing right now is a lot of people are tired of the assumptions based on their physical appearance as to what they will do or what they will achieve. Um, there's not a lot of research, like I said, there still needs to be more research out there. I mean, the research out there on ethnicity and sexual position, position identity is uh, very limited and um, I'm not sure of much on trans and non-binary individuals, although in one of the research studies that I've been doing, um, we didn't ask sexual position identity, but when they, um, when uh, trans non-binary individuals um, reported their sexual orientation, a number of them said trans for trans, or some of them did post that they were butch trans or um, femme trans, which um, didn't relate to sexual orient, uh, sexual behavior, but there might be linkages there. Hello, Kathy. Um, thank you. Can I ask a question? Thank yes. you, Andrew. I, uh, I appreciated your uh, your talk and I have a couple of questions. I'll ask one now and hope I get a chance to ask the other later. And that is, as I as I follow you through these different mobilizations of top and bottom and the uses and the counter uses and the change, my question is, does all this shifting around over time lessen the hold of sexual dualisms on our imaginations or does it just keep reapplying the sexual dualism? Do is there is there any avenue out of a dyadic analysis, or is it just we're just going to keep reshifting the parts? No, I think definitely what we are seeing right now. I mean, part of this is um, empowering the bottom, but then there is also another segment that is advocating for eliminating categories like this. Um, that um, this categorization limits your experience or puts expectations on you and that some men who are reporting their personal experiences that when they decided to eliminate those categories and just engage with other people, um, it was more freeing to them. They didn't feel that they had to perform a certain way or enact a certain way. I mean, like I said, a lot of the people, that, um, even in one of my other studies on this was um, how was it? One of the there was a it was a blog and it was a video log, and the young guy was saying that he thought because he was feminine he had to be the bottom, and then after experience he realized that that wasn't necessarily the case. And I think what we're seeing is people are trying to get away from this this connotation or this link between the two, and that maybe eventually or there is a, certainly an undercurrent or a movement to start eliminating categories and just not identify as one, the other, both, 
somewhere along the spectrum. I see that Elizabeth has a question. Aloha, my Aloha. Aloha, uh, Professor Riley. I do um, wonder if you could speak a little bit more. I have a background in somatic psychology. And so when you were talking in particular about the bodily experience of power, um, you know, shifting from a position-based identification with power or even a body part-based identification of power to the lived uh, embodied experience in that sexual expression of feeling empowered. Is anybody doing any research about that or, you know, the intersection of the field of somatics? Okay, the, I think the, the best resource for that is Jonathan Allen, um, who I quote in this. Um, he is in Canada. Uh, I forget where right now. Um, but he has a book out from Regina Press, Regina Press, called, hang on, where is it? Uh, Reading from Behind, uh, A Cultural Analysis of the Anus. And He's the only one I know who's really doing a good perspective of really looking at this type of embodiment and what it means to be penetrated. Um, his essays uh, are, you know, I mean, it's not just uh, not just uh, gay or bisexual men. I mean, he's talking about straight men, women as well. But there's a lot of different variations, and that, and I agree with this argument. We need to get away from the idea that they are the phallus is. Uh, the be all end all that there's more to sexual experience than um, topping. Um, I think he would be the perfect one and I can put you in touch with him um, as well. Um, who else has a question? Uh I actually have just like a comment also that there's a really interesting um, uh, book called uh, Vulnerable Constitutions, which talks about an idea of, um, how is it called? Anti-prophylactic citizenry and kind of taking the idea mm. of recept receptivity and um, homosociality related to these um, sort of uh, I guess, you know, positions of penetrator and penetrated or, you know, and taking that language and saying like the sort of model of receptivity as being a new uh, model for masculinity um, and citizenry, which is really interesting. Um, and it's by Cynthia Baronis. <laughs> Just Cynthia Baronis? Yeah. And what was the name of it? Uh, Vulnerable Constitutions. And it talks also about uh, this from the lens of disability as well. I think it's, I'm definitely gonna check this out. I mean, a lot of what I, I see and I read, especially about um, bottoming is that uh, the amount of prep work that it takes and the care that it goes into it um, in order to prepare oneself has not been considered thoughtfully um, especially by sexual partners who um, don't take the amount, don't understand or consider the amount of care or prep work that uh, goes into um, sexual congress and that uh, that part of the labor is being left aside out of conversations. Yeah. 
Yeah, thanks so much for this. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to answer anything else or any other questions you may have. That's funny. This topic always yields you know, very few questions or a whole lot. Yes, I have a question. <clears throat> I noticed that all of your pictures and most of the depictions were of quite uh, young men. Has anything been done on the older uh, gay male who is probably for part of their life been had to be in the closet, but who have come out at a later age and engaged? Just curious to know if anything has been done with that. Um. I'm sure someone somewhere has done it. Um, the only things that I can think of or that would be applicable um, would be pop cultural references that I've seen with regard to what's called uh, gay with age, meaning as I thought you were talking about, as someone gets older, they realize they might be gay or bisexual or want to explore their sexuality. Um, and that was linked to bottoming by, uh, by age, that as you get older, your notions or what you're willing to do um, start to change or you um, engage in bottom practices simply for the sake of having sex with somebody. Um, but I'm sure someone somewhere has, is doing that um, and really can explore that further. Thank you. I have a question. Yes, Cora. Oh, I thought Cora had a question. Yes, I do. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. I'm kind of curious um, in regards to like positioning, especially within ethnic groups, do you feel like those stereotypes are they've kind of emerged as a process of colonization, kind of like the colonizer and the colonized? Oh, yes, I would say, what, yeah, I would definitely say that, that um, as, uh, as uh, different parts of the West have colonized other countries, that it's this, the sexual submissiveness of it mm -hmm. is definitely important. I think there was even, um, I'm sure there's some studies, or I think I've read some studies, especially about um, slavery in the United States in the antebellum era. Um, it was all about dominance. Um, some of it was not necessarily about sexual behavior, but it was about the dominance of it. So I would definitely say you're right on target with that, um, who has the power and um, who does not have the power. And actually, I think, um, as I'm thinking of it, the book, um, Topping from the Bottom, I think the author does go into that about um, the West and Japanese or West and Asian uh, issues of power and globalization. I want to say he does. I have a, another question, Andrew. Um, Kathy? 
this is kind of in a different direction and I was holding back because I didn't want to change the subject, but I also don't want to miss my chance. Um, I, it was interesting to me how um, the thinking about sexuality went at, at some at different points into um, expressing sexuality through commodities and how quickly there's a commodity rushed in uh, you know a new market identified uh, you know you know the 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 joke about capitalism has always been that its motto is we'll sell anything to anybody. And so my question has to do with in this, when you're, when you're doing the work you do, especially located in a, a, a field that is, has a strong marketing dimension to it, is there room for a critique of capitalism in this field? Or is that sort of of necessity a, kind of a byway of, uh, of this is another vehicle for expressing the sexualities as opposed to itself being a problem. Um, and another way to ask that would be when socialists and anarchist LGBT groups do their politics, do they leave their socialism and anarchism behind, so to speak, and um, you know, enter a different political field, or is there a is there an anti-capitalist version? I have not seen an anti-capitalist version. I think the critique of this could come from who is providing the merchandise. Uh, Homoco and Swish Embassy are queer-owned and queer brands, so I think that is one issue, but I think probably what we're seeing, and I'm sure a lot, I'm looking at the brands who are producing this, this is a really good idea. Um, a lot of this may just be coming from people who are slapping on uh, uh, the phrase bottom on a t-shirt and just selling it because they know it's going to sell and they know people are going to buy it. So I think there, and, and a lot of the literature, especially with uh, queer consumption, is that people are want to buy or they want to support queer brands that are owned by queer individuals or queer companies. They are looking specifically at where is this money going and who is it going to assist or help. So I think definitely there is a room for critique on that side. Looking at it from that way of who is, who, I mean, yeah, definitely um, who is, uh, who is the company producing this merchandise? Okay, thanks. There's a question in the chat. Let's see. Okay. <clears throat> if we are to take this one form of social mobilization, what its potential, what is its potential and how would it affect gender and race orders in the United States? As the meaning of the bottom are rewritten, does it have a potential, for example, to change the location of Asian American men in the US who regardless of their gender and sexuality have historically been feminized and bottomed and therefore excluded from the US national polity or is this shift of the bottom another variant of self-empowerment in the age of neoliberalism? That is a very good question. Um, let me ask it again. Well, I... <laughs> 
I think definitely this has the potential to start to reorient or start to change the narrative around Asian men. There still is a problem, especially in gay dating, um, especially on um, platforms and apps. Um, no fats, no femmes, no Asians is quite a common statement. But I think what we are starting to see is more um, leaders in Asian politics as well and you can i mean i am just thinking off the top of my head from um, the marketing standpoint and the fashion industry more positive imagery of asians and asian americans but i think that that imagery that we're seeing is very masculine muscle hypertone pale skin imagery that we're seeing in the fashion and media area that in some ways it still is conforming to a certain type of look for the body and for the aesthetics of it. Does that answer your question or? Thank you. I, I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on it, Mire. I actually have no thoughts. I thought, yeah. <laughs> so I was wondering, um, at several points in your talk, it felt like another variant of neoliberal feminism or, you know, neoliberal something that we quite often critique. And I'm not sure it's potential, but if there's a potential, and then if it's about rereading, we're rewriting the meaning of the feminine, of course it is implication for race relations. Involved, right. for example, or actually for gender relations as well. So, so that's the sort of the intention of the question. So it's really different from what Asian American men are doing in, you know, gay relation or whatever the relations. More about the location of Asian Americanness, which has been always read in terms of race, in terms of sexuality, in terms of its absolute exclusion you know, from the national polity historically. So, and then probably there's no way to tell the definite answer, but I was just wondering what you thought. I mean, I do see there's a form of definitely self-empowerment. I think there's the, the, the two sides to this. Um, I think it does have the potential to affect, but on the other side is that self-empowering, how you feel about yourself and how you identify um, if you have a sexual position preference or identity or orientation. This is not a question, this is a comment that it made me think of, but just to say that it was uh, made me think of um, pegging, if people are familiar with this, which, and it's been coming into popular culture a little bit more, which is, um, a seemingly straight identify a straight identifying man um, being penetrated by a woman, right? And yeah. so there's been jokes about this in popular culture. It's a genre of porn, you know. It's becoming a little more prevalent. And that so your talk made me think of that. So if we're repositioning our thinking about the bottom and um, gay men are claiming this uh, status as a bottom or identity as a bottom in a in a prideful way, which might be signaling a kind of shift in gender relations or not, I'm not totally sure, what then is the place of thinking about 
um, straight cis men also taking up this position if something like that would ever happen in a marketing sense? And then what would that tell us about shifting ideas around gender, around um, not sexual, maybe sexual identity or sexual behavior per se, you know? So like, what are all the other things that become possible if we do wanna say like, oh, this is an actual turning and breaking away from the binary that Kathy asked about in the beginning. Like, is this a move towards thinking beyond binaries with straight and gay or top and bottom? Or is this just like the market spinning on itself? So it's very interesting. Well, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, Jonathan Allen in um, uh, Reading From Behind does talk about um, pegging. And um, he is a, a, a cisgender white straight man. Um, so uh, he brings up a lot of these issues that you are talking about. I think he would like his book. He comes from a literary cultural perspective, um, but he definitely brings up like, what does all this mean um, in gay world, straight worlds, and all these different variations of it. But I do think it's gonna be interesting to see how this affects gendered relationships, especially in um, um, straight relationships. Um, what does that mean for power or um, otherwise? Lisa? Hi. 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 Thank you so much for your talk. <laughs> I thought it was really fascinating. Um, I guess I also have more of a, a comment. And I think um, there was that one quote that I think is uh, quite common, yet so heartbreaking. Uh, and there was that comment about being gay is the worst. You know, first right. is the, yeah, first is the discrimination and sort of the hate from general society. And then, you know, within the gay community, there's also you know, very sort of hierarchical, exclusive groups that you either belong to, or you don't belong to. So when thinking about the bottom and sort of negotiating the bottom and being the, you know, kind of empowering that, who is it that successfully is doing that in terms of what body are we seeing? And I think it made me wonder, you know, like, again, obviously there's also very exclusive uh, groups or hierarchies and, um, within the gay community, right? So like when we renegotiate this bottom, I, it just comes to mind that it's a very specific person who successfully can claim the bottom as powerful or like gaining power from that, right? It's not like something that's sort of all of a sudden open to, to all bottoms, right? And then kind of how that's, so it made me wonder just if um, in terms of the power of relationships, like the power, you know, the top versus the bottom. Um, and if that even is going to ever be on some sort of equal basis or like kind of more fluid or if it's because there seems to be so much more connected to those specific roles oh so how is okay if i'm understanding you of how is um in the relation in a relationship how is it negotiated who is the bottom or who is the top or just being able to yeah or just being able to claim like power as the bottom like you mentioned too in pornography for example oh, okay. like bottoms are less paid bottoms are less you know, they're seen more as feminine, but like not feminine in the way that could bring power feminine in the way that could, you know, that is looked down upon or like right. less than. And so I'm just wondering, like when thinking about renegotiating the, the bottom or like gaining power as a bottom, like claiming that, like who is it that successfully can do that? You know, is it all bottoms or is it just a very exclusive specific bottom that could, that has that space? 
Well, I think that's, that's a really good question, a good area to explore further. Um, just thinking about it, the, the term power bottom, those who claim it as a power bottom, are usually um, very active um, in what they do with somebody else. That the, uh, as they say, it's not just lying there and taking it, that they are providing Sorry. the pleasure and they are providing the enjoyment for uh, somebody else. And that's where they're getting their power from, that it's usually the penetrator who is now taking a role as being less active um, or um, passive, shall we say, while somebody else does the um, labor and the work. Mm -hmm. I think I, um, Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other questions out there? Oh, there's a question in the chat. Do you think we will ever be able to transcend ideologies of power and hierarchies in our sexual selves, identities, and experiences? Um, I'd like to say yes, but I'm not sure that that is, I think it takes a very special relationship in understanding who your sexual partner is. And I'm really curious about versatile couples and how they negotiate if there is power in it or how they negotiate different um, different positions um, when both members or both couples, both people are, are, uh, are versatile. Um, I think part of like uh, transcending um, categories um, and identities, I think part of that is now what we're seeing with appearance, especially with non-binary uh, categories, non-binary appearances or non-binary identities. One of the theories of um, Eshelman is um, performatism and his interpretation of performatism is erasing cultural and social categories so that we will no longer have these type of categories based on gender, sexuality, um, race. Um, so he's it's, he's looking at it from a different from an interesting perspective, and I think that's what he sees we're going towards. Um, but whether it would ever be something that is completely adopted by on a global scale, I'm not sure. Uh, Maria asks, I also wonder how this relates to cultures of power, which are defined, touched by poverty, scarcity. Well, you know, this is really interesting because um, a lot of what I have seen or learned, there is a type of valorization of the masculine working class man. And I think this goes back to that whole, the aesthetic movement um, in the uh, 19th century um, where out gay men could be, uh, were part of the beauty movement and were interested in the cult of beauty. And whereas working class men didn't really have the luxury to be out because they would be discriminated against. And it's really interesting to look at class because I think there is an assumption that if you are working class or poorer, that you have this masculinity to embrace and that you're going to be the top. And that if you're wealthy, 
you're or you're upper class, you are more of the bottom. And it's really interesting to look at it from that perspective. Um, I think that's a really good question. But then you have the other side of it, where if you're looking at like prostitution or forced um, sexual uh, sexual slavery, that sometimes you are engaging in things you don't want to engage in, but you need to make you need to make money or you're forced into it. So there's different ways of looking at it. But I'm really interested in that the issue of class and how the bottom or who has the power in a sexual relationship like that. Any more questions? Looks like we have time for maybe a few more. We usually go to about 1.15. So um, we can continue talking if there's any more inquiries or comments. I'd be glad to stay if there's any more questions yeah. or things people want to ask. There's a question in the chat. Okay, Chris asks, I wonder as to the connection between whiteness, white supremacy, and construction of the sexual self-other colonization informing the ways we understand sex as an interplay of power dynamics to begin with. Uh, yes, and, um, I think as I mentioned, um, the book Talking from the Bottom definitely addresses this issue about power dynamics on a global scale and how Asian and Asian American men have been de-feminized. Uh, de, um, um, it's interesting because I have heard from another researcher, I don't think has published this yet or was talking about it one time, that of expat communities in Mexico and Central Asia of older gay men and very young um, local boys and the um, how the older gay white men we usually have a lot of have some type of money or wealth um, negotiate amongst themselves as to which of the young men will be their lover and then when they get tired of them they switch now you're going to be with this person now you're going to be with this person and how that moves about because i think that definitely um looks at the power dynamic right there. And I'm sure there's other stories about this issue coming up, coming up or coming along. But a lot of it I do think is related to that stereotype also that uh, Mediterranean cultures, Latin American cultures are viewed as more masculine or macho or machismo and um, are assumed to be to tops, um, whereas, um, that's acceptable, but I also think that's a cultural issue because being top in a same-sex relationship is typically, or has been typically considered as not gay, as part of the straight identity, what straight men can do. Did that answer your question, Chris? 